If you weren't here last Sunday, we kind of kicked off the vision for this year. And uh, let me just briefly remind you that 2017, prophetically speaking, is a year of transition. You can count on it. There's a scripture, and I read it last week to you, that first the natural and then the spiritual. And we see from the what's going on in the world. And, and, and it's a time of transition right now, not just in our nation, but all over the world. You see it in Europe, you see it in Asia, you see it in Africa, you see it in South America, you see it all over the world. It's a time of transition. And it's going to be a tra- time of transition in the church and the body of Christ. And it's going to be a year of transition in this local body, New Hope. A lot of things are going to be changing, but we praise the Lord because he is at the helm and he is directing and he is in charge and we're just following him. I'm so glad to know that the Lord has his hand on the church, aren't you? It's, it's his body and we're, we're just following him. Uh, I told you also that this year will be a year when we rebuild and we're, in, we're enlisting and asking you to help us this year to rebuild we're using Nehemiah as an example. In 52 days, Nehemiah did what everybody around him said was absolutely impossible. He completely rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem. There were people around that were discouraging him, and there were people around that were making fun of him. There were people around that were saying it can't happen, it will never happen. There were people around that said, your, your efforts will be so futile that... that um, the wall will be so weak if a little fox came against it, it would fall. And all of those things proved to be false because God was with them. And they rebuilt the walls, strong walls, in 52 days. Amazing what they did. And it was because they all came together. We're believing that God's going to help us rebuild at New Hope walls, spiritually speaking. We, we had a tough year last year, but this is a new year. We're going forward in the Lord. Amen. We're going to rebuild the walls of prayer and the walls of worship, the walls of evangelism, the walls of discipleship, all four of those walls this year. Uh, and we're, we're believing that in 52 days, 52 Sundays, that you're going to see dramatic change for the good at what the Lord is doing at this house. The first quarter of this year, a couple of things we're doing, we're kicking it off with a fast, begins today. We invite you to join us this week as we fast and pray and seek God for this first quarter of the year. And we will do that at the beginning of each quarter of this year. Four times this year, we'll have a week of fasting and prayer, and we invite you to join us for that. Uh, We're not telling you how much to fast or how long to fast or what to fast. That's between you and God. This is not legalism. This This is just an effort to say, let's come together as a body of Christ and just set ourselves to seek the Lord. Amen? Daniel did that. He said, I set myself to seek the Lord. And uh, he went on what we refer to as a Daniel fast. He fasted for 21 days and uh, basically did not take any pleasant food to his body. He just lived on some think bread and water, others think just vegetables. But uh, whatever it was, uh, it was a very limited amount that he was taking in and instead of, of, of glutting and blessing his flesh with all the things that he loved, he just laid all that aside and set his heart to seek the Lord. And when God sent an angel to him to speak to him, he said, you know, Daniel, God heard you the first day 
when he saw your willingness to set your heart to seek the Lord. I want to tell you, God honors anything that we do that sets him as first place in our life. And when we begin to desire and set ourselves to seek for more of him. So we just encourage you in that. And this first quarter of the year, we're going to be emphasizing prayer. And you'll hear more and more about that. My goal is to, and God's given us a method I believe is going to work. It's already uh, beginning. It's in the early stages. But we believe by the end of this quarter that we can have every person at New Hope being prayed for by another person at New Hope on a, on a regular basis. Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Give God praise for that. Amen. Amen. I, I know how encouraging it is to me when I know that people are praying for me or when somebody calls and said, pastor, I just had you on my heart and I prayed for you today. And we, we want to see every person in this church prayed for regularly and, and somebody that you connect with that you can share your request with on a personal way and pray. How many believe prayer works? Amen. It does. It's, it's, it's a great, great um, um, opportunity that we have to commune with God. Let me, I, I was just thinking about this first quarter kind of emphasizing prayer, and I'll get to the message in just a moment. But, but I, I, I love history, and I read a little, uh, a little something this week from the life of Winston Churchill that I, I had not read before. Winston Churchill in his younger days was a military man. And in fact, he was fighting in South Africa, and uh, there in uh, in South Africa, he um, he he wound up uh, captured and put in jail. He was able to escape from jail, but then he was on the run, being hunted uh, by the opposing military forces of that area. And for several days, he had been uh, hiding out and. And just roaming from place to place and try to stay ahead of those that were uh, pursuing him. And he, he became physically exhausted, was without food for a long time, and, and realized that he wasn't going to make it without some help. And so this is from, the, from his own words. Winston Churchill said, I realized that I was not going to survive without help. And so I determined that win, lose, or draw. I was just going to walk up to somebody's door and knock on the door. And if they were merciful to me and helped hide me, then I'd be blessed if they turned me in. And by the way, there was a reward out for his arrest as well. If they turned me in, then I'm, I'm not going to make it anyway. But he said, before I did that, he said, I began to earnestly seek the Lord. I prayed and sought the Lord earnestly. He used that word earnestly. I earnestly sought the Lord to direct me. And he said, I waited until it was dark and I walked down a street and I was looking for flickering lights inside the house, a house. And he said, I saw several places, but I just felt impressed to walk up to this one door. And I knocked on the door and a man came to the door and opened the door and said, who are you? And he said, I am Winston Churchill. And he said, come in. You're in the only house for many, many miles where you will be safe and cared for. You believe in prayer? Amen. 
he earnestly prayed. James the apostle in the word of God, look at James chapter 5. He said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah prayed earnestly, use that word earnestly. And that's what Winston Churchill said he did. He prayed earnestly. So I want to encourage you to, to pray earnestly and seek the Lord as we begin this year. And let's have some spiritual breakthroughs in our lives this year. Well, I want to, I want to take you to, and the, by the way, the title of my message this morning is, Have You Lost Your Wonder? And I told you last Sunday that, that this month we're going we're gonna to do something kind of different, unusual. I'm challenging this morning everybody that's 50 and older to get involved in the work of the Lord. Now, if you haven't reached 50 yet, uh, please don't tune me out. Um, but I'm mainly aiming at people that are 50 years old and older. Next week, Pastor Reagan will aim at those that are in their 30s and 40s. And, and we'll go on down with the youth and, and then we'll, we'll just go from there, okay? But right now, I'm, I'm shooting at you folks that are 50 and over. Now, again, please don't tune me out if you aren't 50 yet because let me tell you, this may surprise you. But if Jesus tarries, you will be 50 someday. Amen. And some of you won't be very long. <laughs> so so, so it'll, 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 it'll help you too. You, you're going to be 50. I, I remember when I thought 50 were, boy, those old people. And now I look at 50-year-old and I say, boy, y'all are so young. I'm telling you, wow, praise the Lord. But uh, my text today is from Matthew chapter 18, 1 to 3. I'm, I'm just going to use this to kind of springboard off of. This is not my message. I'm going to bring you an Old Testament character that um, I think exemplifies someone who has not lost their wonder. But look at this, Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you that unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There is a childlikeness that is required to be a part and to be effective in the kingdom of God. This has been an exciting week around here for the staff. You know, Tony and Haley just had their first baby. And uh, yeah. They've been married a long time. I think the best time to have children is real soon after you get married because then you haven't had enough time to realize how much fun married life can be without them. <laughs> They've had a long time to realize how much fun life can be with just the two of them doing as they please. Those days are over. For Tony and Haley. It's a new day. Well, we've been so excited this, this week. It's been a lot of fun. I love, I love to go to the hospital when our, our, our um, members and friends of the church have new babies. It's so exciting to, to look at newborn babies. I always tell dads if I get a chance to relish that moment, just capture it in your mind mentally, um, make a note of it, how you feel when you look at your offspring for the very first time, your firstborn, first time. That only happens one time in life. And it's a unique experience. 
It, it, you, you never have anything exactly like it again. It's a unique experience. So I tell dads, don't, don't let all the people around you cause you to miss the moment. Don't get caught up with all. Look at that child and record in your brain how you feel. It's amazing how much love you can feel instantly for somebody you never met before. Amen. It's just, it's just an amazing experience. And, and, and I was reflecting back. I was thinking back. Lord blessed us with two boys. And um, I, I was reflecting back of those early days, how much fun it was to watch them from infancy. Remember when the baby first discovers its own hand and, and realized this is not an automated something going around over the crib. This is attached to me. This is my hand remember that they bite it and you know they, and it's fun you remember how much fun it is to watch an infant discover its feet and toes <laughs> and, and life just goes there there are years when there is just a excitement i call it the wonder years when everything is wonderful everything's exciting everything's a new adventure they can you know everything that going out in the yard the first time i mean it doesn't take very much to 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 really excite them those wonder years and isn't it a shame that they have to that they have to wane away so early in life now you know, our kids now, because of technology and everything, they time time they get in elementary school, they've seen about everything, you know, <laughs> been about everywhere, if if not in real life, in virtual reality and and, and and so much and the innocence is lost so quickly in life. But uh, some people and I love to see people like this. There there are certain people that just seem to never lose their wonder. They can just still be excited about new things. And I, I want to tell you that in the spiritual realm, that's the way it should be for all of us because we serve such a wonderful God. And it's a never-ending adventure to serve God if you will allow it to be. There is no reason why serving God has to become old hat, and has to become mundane and has to become just a, just a, a trudging through of, of, a, of a routine or schedule. No, 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 no. We serve a wonderful God. And I love to meet those people who refuse to lose their wonder. They're just still excited about things in life. I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, and, and some of you saw it when you were kids. I didn't. I was way up in my 30s before I saw the Grand Canyon. I just, for some reason, had never hit that part of the country. And uh, we, Faye and I were flying, and I don't, I don't know whether you, pilots will even do this anymore, but the pilot of the plane that we were on when we crossed the Grand Canyon, he called ahead to the tower and got permission, and then he got on his microphone and his intercom and talked to all of us passengers. He said, we're about to cross the Grand Canyon. And he said, if you've never seen the Grand Canyon, I want to help you, and I've gotten permission from the tower to do this. So in just a few moments, you're going to feel the plane, and it's going to bank. And he said, I'm going I'm to put the left side of the plane. I'm going to put that wing right down where you can look out your window on the left side, right straight down into the Grand Canyon. 
And then in a few minutes, I'll straighten it up and I'll move to the other side and I'll put the right wing right down where you can look right out the window, right down into the Grand Canyon. I don't know what I was expecting. I guess I had a mental picture of the Grand Canyon. I'd seen pictures of it. But the enormity, the immenseness, the, the magnitude of it was, I was speechless for a few minutes. I just, I, I, could, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. The, the Grand Canyon. And I, I hope that I never lose that wonder and that excitement in, in life. And, and I know it's that way with my Heavenly Father. I'll tell you, God is a good God and He will take you to new heights. There's no reason to ever stop winning victories for the Lord. Amen. And so let me take you now to my message. That was a long introduction. Sometimes I do a short introduction, a long sermon. This morning I did a long introduction. I'm going to do a short sermon, okay? <laughs> At least I'm going to try. Um, let's observe a setting. I, I want you to see and uh, get this setting in your mind, and I'll go from there. It's in Numbers chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Notice these are leaders among the tribes of Israel. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, these were the names from the, uh, their, their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shemwah, uh, from the tribe of Simeon, Sharfat, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, from the tribe of Ephraim, Joshua. And I, I'm, for time, I'm not going to read all these names from here on, but he goes on and he says, from the tribe of Benjamin, from the tribe of Zebulun, from the tribe of Manasseh, from the tribe of Dan, from the tribe of Asher, tribe of Naphtali, and from the tribe of Gad. All 12 tribes leading men. Now, I read those, those early names there because I want you to see especially two men that, that will play into this story. The first one is Caleb. Caleb, and he's the guy I want to I want to focus you in on this morning. If there's ever a man in your Bible that did not lose his wonder as he got older, it was the guy named Caleb. He had a partner uh, that uh, worked with him on some of the exploits that they did for God. His name was Joshua. Now, your Old Testament covers about fifteen hundred years of Israel's history. During that time and leading up to the event that I want to talk to you about this morning was a period of their history called the Egyptian bondage. Abraham was promised a land of Canaan, and the Bible later refers to it as the promised land. Abraham was promised that. Isaac was promised that. Jacob was promised that. But the Lord spoke to Abraham way back there and gave him a vision of the future. He said, now, this is not going to happen real fast. You're, I'm going to give you a son, and, and, and then your family's going to begin to multiply. And it did. Isaac had two sons. And then, and then, and then his, his son Jacob had 12 sons, and his son Esau had 12 sons as well. And that, that, that began to multiply and really cover the earth. 
But the sons of Jacob were the direct descendants of the blessing and the covenant of God. And you might remember the number was about 70 at the time that Joseph was raised up in Egypt to provide for the children of Israel protection from the famine that was in the land. And so they went down 70 strong and came out 400 years later of two and a half million plus. Now that's multiplying, isn't it? They grew to be a nation while they were in Egypt. But you know what happened? After Joseph died, the Pharaoh that succeeded him didn't remember the exploits of Joseph. He chose to forget that God provided for them because of the blessing that came through Joseph. And instead, he got afraid of this multiplying uh, people group in his midst. And so he started trying to um, slow it down. He started killing male babies so that the, the, the wouldn't produce and, and continue to grow so rapidly. And when, when that didn't work for him, uh, you know, he made them slaves and, and treated them horribly. And so for the last number of years, that last generation in particular that was in Egypt during those 400 years, they really suffered as slaves that were abused and beaten and mistreated. In fact, they were made, many of the pyramids that you see were built by the slave labor of the Israelite people. And so what I'm bringing you up to this morning is the time of their exodus from the land. God raised a man named Moses, you're familiar with him, and he led the children of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage. Now, it took some plagues from God, some judgment to get Pharaoh willing to let him go. And after 10 plagues, he was ready to let him go. He said, get out of here. And they, they left. But then he changed his mind, decided to come after them and, and bring them back. And so God opened the Red Sea for them. And they marched across on dry land. Miracle from God. Two and a half million people. Boy, that was a great miracle. <laughs> I remember hearing years ago about a, uh, an atheist that was trying to convince everybody that the miracles of the Bible were not true. And he was giving some lectures. And, and a little Pentecostal lady um, decided she would attend those lectures and see what he had to say. And he got to the Red Sea miracle. And he said, oh, that's a myth. There's nothing to that. said... There wasn't but three and a half feet. It had been a great drought. And there wasn't but three and a half feet of water when the children of Israel went across the Red Sea. So there's no miracle to that. That little old Pentecostal lady jumped up and started shouting, praising God, waving her hands there. Woo, just shout. I mean, she was just, just, she was having a time. And the guy stopped her and said, ma'am, what are you rejoicing about? She said, the miracles of God. He said, well, I just showed you your miracle work and God's not for real. I just told you that there's no miracle across the Red Sea. They went across three and a half feet of water. She said, oh, my, you're talking about a miracle. Said, do you realize that my God drowned the whole Egyptian army in three and a half feet of water? <laughs> Praise God. What a miracle. What a miracle. Whatever you choose to believe about those things, I choose to believe the Word of God. 
And of course, there's archaeology studies and so forth to prove that this is not a myth. This is, in fact, something that happened. God did, in fact, open the Red Sea and by miracles. Caleb saw that. Caleb was part of that. And, and, and then they went to Sinai where God appeared on the mountain, set the mountain on fire, and yet it was not consumed. And a voice from heaven came so loud that two and a half million people heard the voice of God and trembled at his presence. And God gave them the Ten Commandments and carved it on stone and gave them to Moses. And, and, and they were there for a good while. And, and then they, God gave them instructions and and they built the tabernacle of worship to the Lord uh, to carry with them in their journey from Sinai on to the uh, uh, promised land. And, and God did other miracles for them along the way. And, and Caleb saw all of that. And he saw the wonder working power of God. And he was fascinated by it. And he loved it and was excited by it. So, so let me give you the history of Caleb. Here he is. Caleb, first of all, was 38 years of age when Israel left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea and all of those wonderful things happened. He was the son of Jephunneh, um, and he was also the leader of the tribe of Judah. Now, Judah is the largest tribe in Israel. Judah also, all of those tribes have meaning to their name. Anybody know what Judah means? Praise. It, it, that was the tribe of praise and worship to the Lord. They were, they were worshipers. In fact, our Lord Jesus chose to come through that, that great praise. Uh, dis, oh, uh, that we just see so much through the, the, the mighty hand of God moving there. And so Caleb saw all of that. Caleb was a worshiper of God. Um, now, that brings me up to the scripture that I read to you a while ago from Numbers chapter 13. Remember, they, they, they'd been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. They crossed the Red Sea. Caleb was 38 years old. They moved on towards the promised land. And when they came to the southern border of Canaan, the promised land, they, they had been about two years from Egypt. And so Caleb is now 40 years old. And God has Moses... He said, now, I've given you that land in front of you. In fact, you've got a lot of promises of that land. It goes all the way back. I promised it to Abraham, his descendants. I, reaff I affirmed it to Isaac and his descendants. I reaffirmed it to Jacob and his descendants. I, I promised it to you and, and, and told you at Mount Sinai. And all of my, my, the times that I have been with you with my presence and giving you a message, I've reminded you that that promised land is yours. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's yours. And so God said to Moses, here you are. You're right. They were on the southern boundary of Canaan and said, I want you to choose 12 spies and send them into the promised land and, and let them see if it isn't exactly the land that I told them that it was and let them come back. And so they go spy out the land. Caleb was one of those spies. He was the leader of the tribe of Judah. And he went. He teamed up with a buddy named Joshua. Joshua was the leader of the tribe of Ephraim. And, uh, and they went together. Now, 
they reported back after 40 days of surveying the land of Canaan. They came back with the report. Here's the report of the spies. I want to give you, first of all, the majority report. This is the big one. This, this, there were 10 guys that brought one report back and only two guys that brought a different report back. So this is the majority report. This is the biggie, okay? You ready? Numbers 13, verses 26 to 29. Now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, listen to what they said. We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, boy, that's the wrong word to use here. This is where their faith turns to doubt. And their faith is met with fear. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of Jordan. Now, here's what happened. When these 10 guys stood up and gave that report, the Bible says later on, you'll find it here in Numbers, that it caused the people's heart to melt like water. In other words, they just spread fear. Two and a half million people began to tremble in fear because these 10 guys said, we're in trouble, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Can anybody, without looking at your Bible, from memory, give me the names of the 10 men who brought back this report? Anybody? You can stand and just rattle off those 10 names. Any, anybody? Give you $100. <laughs> give you $200. To anybody in here that can just stand and from memory rattle off the names of those 10 men 300 and I'm going to stop <laughs> okay let me ask you this the minority report anybody know the names of those two guys no, no money here no money here <laughs> no money here <laughs> let, let me tell you Caleb and Joshua are worth remembering because while their report may have been the minority report, it was the report that pleased God. Can I tell you this morning, church, that the majority is not always right? Now let that sink in for just a moment. The majority is not always right. In this case, the majority was dead wrong. And that's the reason we don't remember any of their names. By the way, you, you that have been here a long time, you know I've made that offer several times through the years. Anybody stand up and rattle off those names, and nobody so far has been willing to learn those names. It doesn't interest you. I, I, I kind of 
breathe a sigh of relief every time I do that, that nobody has taken that challenge to, to remember those 10 names. But let me be honest with you, I haven't even memorized those 10 names. I don't know. I don't know who. I have to look and see myself. I don't remember. I, I, I didn't even read them to you this morning. I, I, just, uh, I, I just passed on by. They, they're not worth mentioning. Let, let me tell you. You, you can live a life of doubt and unbelief and not be worth mentioning after you're gone, or you can believe God all the way to the end and, and do some exploits for God. Amen. Well, let, let's move on. Here's the minority report. Now, before I give you the actual report, I'm going to go back and read verses 23 to 25 because I, I want you to get a picture of Caleb and Joshua as they made their journey through the, the, uh, the land of, of Canaan. It's obvious to me that, that the vision of these 12 guys are very different. Ten of, them, 10 of them, all they could see was people, problems, obstacles. You know, some people go through life like that. All they see is people. And obstacles and problems. That, that may be the thing that's been hindering you most of your life. Maybe the thing that's holding you back this morning. All you're looking at is people. Get your eyes off people. People aren't your enemy anyway. Amen. They're not even your problem. The devil is the one we're fighting and we got victory over him through Jesus. Amen. So Caleb and Joshua... They walk across the same land that these other 10 guys do. And they not think, oh, look at that, look at that big old guy. That don't make no difference. My God's bigger than him. Good night. Let's, let's look at this fruit. So, so here's what they saw. Look at Numbers 13, 23 to 25. And then I'll read you their report in verse 30. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol. And there they cut down a branch. Look at this. With one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Caleb and Joshua were so taken back by what they saw. Remember, they'd been hearing all of their lives that the promised land is a land that flows with milk and honey. And all of a sudden they see a cluster of grapes so big that they had to get a pole. And, and Caleb puts the pole on his shoulder and Joshua gets way back and puts the pole on his shoulder. And that cluster, that one cluster, it's specified one cluster of grapes was so big that they had to hang it on that pole to carry it back. Folks, I'm talking about some fruit. Amen. I'm talking about some fruit like they'd never seen before in their whole lives. And, and so here's, here's my picture of it. This is the way I see it in my mind. They get some pomegranates. They never seen pomegranates like that. They get some figs. They're the sweetest figs they ever ate. And they come back into Israel 
I mean, they come back into the camp. Here they are toting that big old thing between the two of them, smacking their lips, eating some of them big old grapes and them pomegranates and fig grape juice down in there, running off their beard, man, just licking their lips. And they said, look at this. We never seen anything like this in our whole life. Look, look at this. My goodness, there's nothing like this. And then here's the report they gave. And look, it was Caleb. Now, remember, the 10 has already given their report. And everybody's hearts has melted like water. But it was Caleb, not Joshua, but Caleb that led here and spoke up. Then Caleb quieted the people. He said, settle down, folks, settle down, settle down. Give me your attention for just a minute. He quieted the people before Moses, and this is what he said. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are all able to overcome it. Glory to God. You say, boy, they must not have seen those giants that the other guys did. Yes, they did. But they hadn't lost their wonder. They remembered that their God opened the Red Sea and took care of a whole army. The, the, the mightiest army on the face of the earth at that time. So what are these guys compared to their God? Amen. That's what they saw. Now, the minority rebuttals Caleb's report. Look at 13, beginning verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for we, they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we've gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Hold that up there for me, please. And so were we in their sight. We were like grasshoppers. He didn't start off by saying in their sight. He said we were like grasshoppers in our sight. Here's the problem. They had the wrong impression of themselves. They saw themselves in this situation like grasshoppers. And they, they thought since we see ourselves, they probably see us that way too. I mean, we just... We just little guys compared to them. My goodness alive. Let me tell you, this Bible, this Bible is full of recorded incidences where our Heavenly Father whipped people that were bigger. I mean, what brought David to fame? A giant called Goliath. Amen. And all he, needed, all he needed was a slingshot to take care of that dude. My goodness. And, and so their, their image of themselves was wrong. Now, there's a danger in this. There's a danger. It, it will, let, let, me, let me tell you what all of this did. This, this wrong image of themselves and of their almighty God caused doubt and fear and it created rebellion. They rebelled against Moses and said, we're not going into the land. We'll go back to Egypt. At least we had leeks and garlics and onions uh, when we were in Egypt. 
We'll go back. And uh, consequently, and I don't have time to go into all this, but you can read in Numbers chapter 14, verses 26 to 38. God said, okay, if that's your opinion of me, you don't think I'm big enough to take care of you, here's what I'm going to do. For the 40 days that you spent looking over the land, talking about the majority report here, the 10, he said, I'm going to make you wander in the wilderness for a year for every day. 40 days, 40 years, you're going to wander in the wilderness. In fact, you will wander in the wilderness till every single one of that generation has died and is buried in the wilderness. And then I'll take the next generation in. The only exception I'll make is for Caleb and for Joshua. How many of you would like to have been on the minority side of that one? Amen. Amen. That, 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 that's, that's where you need to be. Now, here's, here's the thing that, and I, I'm, I'm drawing this to a close. Here's the thing I want you to notice. Caleb and Joshua, old Caleb, for 40 years, he wandered in the wilderness with the children of Israel. But for 40 years, he never lost his faith in God. He never lost his belief that God was bigger than his problems. Even though for 40 years, he wandered around with the rest of them. And then finally, God raised up Joshua, his buddy, and the spy that worked with him and brought the minority report. God raised up Joshua to, to succeed Moses when God took Moses home. And Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. And victory after victory is being taken in the land. And then I want you to see Caleb at 85 years of age. Now, now before, before I give you the scripture, before I give you the scripture, think about it now. He was 40 when he got that, when he gave the good report and God made him a promise. By the way, God promised him, he said, when you get into the promised land, wherever the soles of your feet trod, I'll give it to you. It's yours. You can have, pick out what you want because you've obeyed me. You, you just pick out what you want when you get there. And so now 40 years, he's been wandering in the wilderness. Now he's 85 years of age. What, what is your mental picture of, of a guy now 85? You think now 40 to 85, his hair has probably turned white or maybe turned loose. And uh, his shoulders may be stooped and he may not be walking as fast as he used to be. And he's finally able to get across the Jordan River into the promised land. If that's your picture of Caleb, you missed it. Let me show you the Caleb of the Bible. Here, here he is, 85 years of age. We got to go to the book of Joshua, chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzianite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed 
the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years since the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Now, here I am this day, 85 years old. Look at this. As yet I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain for which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how that Anakin were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out the Lord said, as the Lord said. And here's what Joshua did. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron. And Caleb, the son of Jephthah, he gave it to him as an inheritance. 85 years old. He said, look at me. I'm 85. I'm just as strong for war as I was when I was 40. In other words, I'm still in the army of the Lord. <laughs> I hadn't retired. I hadn't resigned. Amen. Give the Lord praise. I'm, I'm, I'm still in here. And he said, he said, there's still another victory in me. Glory to God. I want, I want that mountain. And by the way, Hebron was a very special place. If you know Bible history and, and, and what it became later, uh, the, Hebron was very, very choice place there. But there were giants in, in Hebron. But Caleb said, I, I'm, re I'm ready to go for it. I'm ready to go for it. I'm 85. I, I, still, I still remember how God opened the Red Sea. I still remember how God fed us with manna from heaven. I still remember how God gave us water from a rock. I still remember how God has defeated all of our enemies behind us. I still remember the Egyptian army being drowned in the Red Sea. I still remember. I still remember the voice of God from heaven and the power and the fire of God that came down. Give God praise today. He didn't lose his wonder. Hallelujah. He never lost his wonder. Praise God. Stand with me, please, if you will. I want you to know this about Caleb. He was faithful through 40 years of wilderness wandering. He was still a warrior at 85. And Caleb never lost his wonder. Now, my question to you, and especially to those of you that are 50 and older, have you lost your wonder? Have, have, have you come to a place in life where you kind of sit back and you said, let somebody else do it? Let, let's let the younger generation do what needs to be done at church. Uh, we've, we've, we've done our part. We're just going to kind of sit back and relax. Listen, you're missing some of the greatest opportunities of your life right now. Amen? You still have victories in you if you don't lose your wonder. There's still things that you can do for God. And remember, he keeps a perfect record. You can't even give a cup of cold water in his name and lose your reward. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. 
Well, sure, we want the young folks to, to be involved, but they need the older folks too to be alongside them and encouraging them and mentoring them. And let me just give you one example of a few, a couple months ago, I guess it's been now, I don't know exactly when it was, but, but, I, but I've heard the report of it. Sister Linda Hand, who was very active in our church for many years when she was younger and, and um, they've moved further away and, 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 and she hadn't been as actively involved as she had been in times past. But a few months ago, she realized they needed some help in the nursery. And so she went back there and started helping in the nursery. You know, not only are the kids being blessed because the kids love her, but those young ladies back there love her too. They say, wow, look at this. This lady, this lady's still got it. She can, she can still work for the Lord. And she's encouraging them and blessing them. And they, they need. listen, the church is the body of Christ. And that means that every part of the body of Christ is important. And we need all of it to function. There are no ministries in this church that are more important to God than other ministries. They're all important. Amen? They're all important. We, we, it's, it's all part of what makes it the body function. So a few years ago, we had, um, we had Brother Edwin from Winston-Salem First Assembly of God to come and, and speak to our staff at a staff retreat. I never will forget what he said. That If you're not familiar with First Assembly in Winston-Salem, it, it's right across the boulevard from Wake Forest University. And Wake Forest University is a breathtakingly beautiful campus. And their church sits right across it. Way back then, they were running over 3,000. I don't know what they're running now. It's been a long time since I've been in contact with them. But, uh, but he, he was sharing with the staff about how important every ministry of the church is. And he said, one, one Sunday, he said they were having trouble getting help in the nursery. And said, one Sunday morning, he got to church and, and the director of the nursery came to him and said, Pastor, we're just desperate this morning. Could you, could you get up and, and ask the congregation if there's anybody to come back here and help us? We got more babies than we got people to take care of. We need some help back here. And so he got up before the congregation and it was time to preach. And he said, folks, I know, you, I know you came this morning for a message, and I know that this part of the service is important. But he said, you know, those babies back there in the nursery are just as important as any other part of our ministry here, and they need help this morning. So y'all just uh, make yourself comfortable. I'm going to help in the nursery. And he just walked out, went to the nursery, left the whole congregation just sitting there looking at each other. But they, they didn't know what to, I mean, he didn't have anybody else to come preach. He just, he said, he said, I showed my church how important the nursery was. Said I went back and said, next week we had a long list of volunteers to help out in the nursery because they didn't want to just sit there for 30 minutes while the sermon was supposed to be going on. But my point is, folks, every part is important. And, and there are areas that we need help in. And, and we don't need to get the idea just because we're getting a little older that our time is over. No, 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 no. We have an opportunity. You're going to have all eternity to enjoy your rewards, but you've only got a short little time 
to make those rewards. And though you're going to be rewarded for everything. So let's, let's get up this morning in the spirit of Caleb and let's say, somebody give me a card and let me sign up for something. I need to do something. It was mentioned earlier in the service that we need help at, at, at the bridge ministry. Always need help with our outreach ministries, don't we, Brother Roger? Always need help. Always need help in children's church. Always need help in the nursery. Always need more greeters. Always need people to help in the parking lot. Always need people. There's not an area of this church where we can't use your help. And just because you're 50 and older doesn't mean we don't need you. In fact, we need you more to help us mentor these younger ones that's coming on. Amen. So let's get with it. Let, let, let's cry out with Nehemiah, hand me another brick. We're going to build this wall. We're going we're gonna to rise and build. This is going to be a year that the church is going to be stronger than it's ever been. God wants us to prepare for the harvest. And I close with this. Many, many years ago when Disneyland was built, they posted their mission statement. And it's been the mission statement throughout the years. Later, Disney World, everything that Disney does, their mission statement is this. We are, the, the mission statement is to make people happy. That's why they exist, to make people happy. Now, I know some of you adults don't think they live up to the mission statement, but hold on a minute. If you take your kids to Disney, your kids will be happy. And you will be happy that your kids are happy. You won't be happy with Disney. I've been there several times. And ain't nothing about standing in line for 45 minutes to ride a ride that makes me happy. But what makes me happy is that my kids were happy and later my grandkids were happy. So they live up to their mission statement. And I was thinking about that. I said, you know, what is God's mission statement for his church? And I think I found it. It's very simple. It's found in the golden text of the Bible. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's God's mission statement for his church that none should perish. That none should perish. Just four words, that none should perish. Say that with me. That none should perish. That's God's mission statement. And I'll tell you what, when you're helping out in the work of the Lord, when you're in service, when you're involved, then you're helping to make the mission statement of your heavenly father come to pass. And I can tell you, he will back you up. He'll bless you. He'll give you what you need. Amen. And, and, and I, I want this to be a year of victory for all of us. But I want especially those of you that, that are 50 and above, I want this to be a year that you win some more victories. Amen. That, that you, 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 you take some more mountains. Anybody with me this morning? We're going to take some more mountains for God this year for the glory of God. And if you don't fit in that, just hang on. You'll be there before long. You'll soon be 50 as well. Here, here's what I want us to do as we close. We're, we're going to pray. Would you just bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll challenge us as far beyond what I can do with 
mere mortal words today. I pray that you'll challenge us deep down in our spirit. Lord, may something leap within us today. A spirit of a, of a man like Caleb that at 85 said, I'm still going strong for the Lord. Give me this mountain. Lord, there's some mountains that need conquered. We have people here with lost children. We have people here with needs of various kinds. Lord, there's no age limit to the action of faith and the response of obedience to the Lord and the power of your presence to do miracles and signs and wonders in our midst. Lord, help us not to lose our wonder. Help us to always be excited about you and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.